Hi, this is Yitz Greenberg. I'm here to record the Dvar Torah for Parshat Tzav. The title, Does God Want Sacrifices or Not? Parshat Tzav continues the Torah's teachings of sacrifices, gives guidelines for priests to bring them to the altar, and describes the consecration ceremony of the priests to serve in the tabernacle. The various pericopes are introduced with, quote, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, unquote, or equivalent words that make clear that God is instructing the Israelites to bring sacrifices. Yet, there are insistent counter-voices in the biblical tradition that say that God does not want sacrifices. After the second temple was destroyed, Avot the Rabbi Natan tells of a panicked student who asked Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai how the people will be able to gain forgiveness now that they could no longer bring a purification or reparation offering. Rabbi Yochanan replied, We have a more efficacious method to obtain forgiveness, the practices of loving kindness. And to support his point, he cited the words of God according to the prophet Hosea, quote, I, God, I want covenantal love chesed and not sacrifices. See Hosea chapter 6 verse 6. There are other prophetic passages that seem to express outright divine rejection of sacrifices. Take Isaiah, quote, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? I am fed up with the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fat cattle. I have no delight in the blood of bullocks or lambs or goats. Bring me no more vain offerings. That's in Yeshayo chapter 1 verses 11 and 13. However, there the rejection stems from the evil behavior of those who bring the offering, apparently in the belief that they can buy off God as it were, even as they sin. And as Isaiah added, quote, when you make many prayers, I will not near hear because your hands are full of blood. There, chapter 1, verse 16. So, are sacrifices a positive service of God or not? In this week's Haftorah, Jeremiah offers a clarification and resolution of the tension. In God's name, Jeremiah says, quote, You might as well add your burnt offerings to your peace offerings, meaning, Burnt offerings are totally consumed on the altar, whereas in peace offerings, the owners get to eat most of the meat. Since God does not want their burnt offerings, Jeremiah is telling them they might as well eat that meat also. Or as he puts it, add your burnt offerings to your peace offerings and eat the meat. I did not speak to your fathers, he continues, and I did not command them on bringing burnt offerings on the day that I took them out of Egypt. I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I shall be your God, and you shall be my people. See Jeremiah seven twenty one twenty two. In other words, God did eventually instruct the Israelites to bring sacrifices, but offerings were not God's priority. On the very first day of liberation, the Lord spoke of the primary way to respond to God, that is, to listen to the word of God and to, quote, walk in all the ways that I will command you, close quote. 
Above all, what God wants from humans is partnership and walking together. Behind this internal debate about sacrifices is a deeper issue. How should humans respond to the encounter with an infinite universal force and a cosmic loving presence? Before discovering the divine dimension of reality, people see the world out of their self-centered personal lens and act out of their body's picture of reality. The encounter with God is meant to pull the human being out of the mortal orbit they live in. Thus, the creation story is meant to reframe individuals' worldview and get them to look at the world from a divine perspective. Then they will recognize that the world is bigger than them, that it should be treated with respect as God's creation, and that as temporary sojourners, they should safeguard the earth and pass it on to the next generations improved over what they received. They should identify the three rhythms that the Creator has implanted into creation, namely chaos to order, non-life to life, lesser to greater quality and capacity of life, and then join in to advance the cosmic plan. However, human beings are not asked to totally self-abnegate, to abandon the trivial pursuits as it were of daily life, and live in the eternal. They are recruited to find the balance of the eternal and temporal, the mortal and the immortal, and to walk in God's ways alongside fellow humans lovingly toward a repaired and perfected world. Some people are so blown away by the discovery of their dependence on divinity for existence that they want to give of their best, be that of gratitude for what they have or out of awe. This is what the sacrifices represent. Given the dietary norms of that time, fat was the richest food and most prized, so the fat of all sacrifices was burnt on the altar. Now all ideas have a spread of meaning. For some people the awe of God spilled over to fear, particularly as a deity was understood in that culture as a demanding, even tyrannical one who would punish people strictly for any misbehavior or shortfall in worship. Among such people, the offerings often became a bribe. The search for giving God the best turned into give God the most precious or most dear to you. This led some to actually sacrifice their children. Such a ghastly sacrifice was seen as heroic, an extraordinary proof of total dedication by the surrounding culture. In Jeremiah's time, for example, Israelites sacrificed their children to Molech in the valley of Gehinom, thinking that this was an ultimate level sacrifice to God. The horrified prophet Jeremiah cried out in God's name, quote, I never commanded this. It never came into my heart. Meaning that God could not even conceive that such an abominable deed could be considered an act of worship and dedication. Of course, there can be more constructive applications of the sacrifice idea. In certain Greek Orthodox churches, the concept of total dedication to God was interpreted as priests giving up family and the life of the flesh. They spent the rest of their lives in singing God's praises and reserting liturgies in God's honor in a monastery or chapel. These monks are honored as giving the highest expression of religious devotion.
The Jewish tradition, on the other hand, chose a more balanced way of responding to God's presence. It called for individuals shifting to a constant effort to improve and elevate everyday life while continuing to be rooted in human activity. The Torah called for extraordinary efforts to love neighbors as oneself and to meet God in ongoing human activities, such as family, feasting, constructive work, such as healing and practicing honesty in business and commerce, as well as sharing with humans in need. One rabbinic aphorism captures the balancing act. Asked how to spend the time of holy days and how to divide it between divine service and human enjoyment, the rabbis answered, half to God and half to you. In other words, spend time, pray, eat with family, learn Torah, enjoy, but spend half the time in divine service and half in personal pleasures. Celibacy for clergy, or life as praying monks, did not make much inroads in Jewish practice. Now, Pirkei Avot does flirt with the idea that a Torah scholar should not only, quote, eat bread with salt, drink measured amounts of water, sleep on the ground, live a life of hardship, but keep on laboring in Torah. See the Mishnah in Avot chapter 6, Allah 4. Yet the broader community and rabbinic culture sidelined asceticism, arguing that God does not begrudge humans their pleasure. God created a beautiful world with many delights and wants God's creatures to enjoy them and meet God that way. In fact, the Nazarite, who temporarily took on extra forms of pleasure denial, such as not drinking wine, was judged to be both living a more holy existence, and at the same time a sinner, quote-unquote, for shutting out legitimate pleasures. The main point, then, was that people should not be so overawed as to see God as a demanding authoritarian ruler who rated subjects higher if they sacrificed quality of life or gave up measures of pleasure in order to please or impress God. The primary divine goal was to enter into relationship with humans, to be listened to and imitated. God wants to be followed by humans who are creating and embracing life and upholding their fellow human beings, just as God does. Now, if humans, following their cultural context, want to bring sacrifices and give of their best to the temple and the priests, then God was fine with that, as long as they kept their priorities straight. Above all, they must treat fellow human beings in God's creation with love and respect. However, if they turn sacrifices into mechanisms to attempt to manipulate God, the offerings were not acceptable. And if they turn the sacrifices into bribes to get God to overlook their exploitation or abuse of fellow human beings, then God was outraged and rejected the offerings and the temple in which they were offered. So giving to God is best shown in giving to fellow human beings and embracing God's creation. An act of enjoyment and shared pleasure can be just as worthy as an act of self-denial or discipline. Sometimes, say to uphold a principle, to defend a value, to protect the world, one must act sacrificially, literally bring a sacrifice. Such a sacrifice is appreciated and honored 
And the same held true liturgically in biblical times. If people wanted to bring an offering out of gratitude or to purge a sin or honor the divine, that was accepted. But the offering had to grow out of a life well lived. A sacrifice, no matter how costly, had no value as a substitute or alternative to a good life. Living for and with God, rather than dying or damaging oneself for God, was and is the divine priority. Perhaps the prophet Micah put it best, and I quote, With what shall I come before the Lord? With burnt offerings or with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or rivers of oil libations? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? And Micah's answer to his question, God has told you, man, what is good, and what does God really ask of you? Only to do justly, offer covenantal love, and walk humbly with your God. See Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8.